Welcome to Islam for Christians. This is episode 106, the Quran, Surah 90, Al-Balad, the city. I do swear by this land, this land where you are free to dwell, and by the parents and their children. We have created man into a life of pain and distress and toil and trial. Yet he thinks nothing can overpower him. He boasts, I have wasted great wealth. Does he think that no one sees him? Do we not give him two eyes and a tongue and two lips and guided him to the parting of two paths? But he has not taken the uphill and challenging path. And how will you understand the value of the uphill and challenging path? It is the freeing of a slave or giving food in a time of hunger to a family member or to any person in need. Then, being among those who believers who heed the warning and advise others toward patience and toward compassion, these are the people of the right hand. But for those who disbelieve, they will be the people of the left hand with a seal of fire closing in on them. And now the Arabic, as recited by Saad El Gamdi. أيحسب أن يقدر عليه أحد يقول أهلكت مالا لبدا أيحسب أن لم يره أحد ألم نجعل له عينين ولساله وشفتين وهديناه النجدين a very common theme in the gospel in the teachings of Jesus is trying to make people see things the way that God sees things. Not just to remember the hereafter, you know, keeping your eye on eternal life, but more than that, seeing the world everywhere as God sees it, seeing people as God sees them. And often, not surprisingly, these tend to be polar opposites, like the boastful Pharisee versus the penitent tax collector. The world venerates one 
but God loves the other. Then there's the poor woman who gave only a penny. The world saw it one way, God saw it another way. And this culminates in the crucifixion of Jesus. The world saw it one way, but God, and eventually the apostles, they viewed it in a completely different way. And it's not just the gospel. You see this in the Old Testament as well. One major example would be David, just the person of David. When the prophet Samuel is going about looking for you know, this new king, this person after God's own heart, and he's looking for it in David, and he overlooks the sort of standard central casting kingly archetypes like David's older brothers, you know, people who looked like kings the way Saul looked like a king. And who does Samuel find? Well, what did God want? The little shepherd with a heart like God's. So once again, God sees things one way, the world sees it another way. And you see the same thing here in the Quran, in this Sora. On the one end, there is ancient Mecca and its values. It's a land of great wealth and power. And then you have Muhammad, the meek and humble merchant orphan, husband of Khadija. And this meek and humble merchant orphan is attempting to make the more powerful people Mecca, he's trying to make them see the world in the way that God sees it. And his challenge is to upend the foundational ideas in this society, the, the idea of what makes a person great. What kind of life, what kind of pursuits are worthwhile? So let's get into the content here, the, the character of this sermon. I mean, almost literally, sort of the, the rich man that's presented at the beginning of this sura, which is a very gospel-y sura, you know, talking about a foolish rich man and the two paths open to humans. This is not unique content. Uh, you may want to keep in mind Matthew 7, 13 to 14, when Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. For the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So the Quran is trying to direct people toward the narrow gate here. And, you know, the character of the rich man being considered here is almost a stand-in for Meccan culture. So really the sensibilities of ancient Mecca, they have to be challenged in that time and in that place. What are some of the norms that God may not be so keen on, aside from the obvious things of idolatry, obviously, but it mentions wasting money. This hypothetical rich man, he's wasting money and he's showing off with it. Now, apparently, in this society, that was normal. 
It may have even been a virtual sense. It was certainly not considered a vice. So against this, you have a guy like Muhammad and his friend Abu Bakr. And they both come into money in very different ways, but both of them saw the virtuous use of money in a very revolutionary way. They were freeing slaves and feeding the poor and doing it at the direction of a single God. Now, these were all new, crazy actions in their time. It would have been far more normal upon becoming rich to use that money lavishly to show off and gain allies and friends and maybe even commission your own idol of some god in the Kaaba. Muhammad and his friends did the opposite of that, and they were ridiculed for it. And they were ridiculed because these were alien values. But for Muslims, knowing what they knew and believing what they believed, this was actually quite sensible. This is what everyone should be doing. Mostly because they believed in the hereafter. And they accepted a new challenge, a new road. No longer was the only challenge to try to build wealth for yourself and to make this life more comfortable because, you know, this life was all there was, right? But once you believe in the hereafter and you're hearing the Quran, that all actually seems silly um, to even focus so hard on something like that. And that's why you have this sort of straw man of the foolish rich person who was considered virtuous in his own time, but abhorrent, or at least foolish, in the eyes of God. A rich man who is so good at accumulating money, but cannot see what is directly in front of him, and particularly when Muhammad is so forcefully proclaiming his message that, hey, God sees you, and he doesn't like it, you know, this man with the new values seems foolish. And furthermore, this is not just an idle pursuit. This could very well land you in hell, the rich straw man is being warned, as a person of the left hand. Now, of course, it was a good warning then, and it's, it's a good warning now. Like so many concepts in these early Meccan surahs, this is not limited to that time. And it speaks to our time quite loudly. Now, speaking of this character, the proverbial rich man, or the straw man, if you will, that, that the Quran is speaking of here, I do want to share a fantastic observation. I didn't come up with this. This is a Muhammad Assad in his Quranic commentary. Um, this was on line six, the one about the rich man. And this comment just really, really runs with the timeless message of this surah. Assad says, Mankind has the widespread belief, characteristic to all periods of religious decadence, this belief that there are no limits to the power to which man may aspire, and that, therefore, his worldly interests are the only criteria 
of right and wrong. Now, in this case, just to explain what he's saying here, we do live in a period of religious decadence, which means decline, decay, um, declining religiosity. You know, for those of us in the West, that's just an undeniable fact of the world that we live in. And he's talking about the result of this, which is basically to confine someone's interests only to the world and the hereafter. So you have an extreme focus on pleasure and liberty and gratification and that sort of thing. And obviously, to those of us who live over here and are religious, this really, really hits home. Because from our perspective, it's very obvious what is causing all of the problems of our time. What ails our time is godlessness. And this idea that man can do anything for himself, that man has replaced God in some ways. And this is well exemplified, I think, by the Silicon Valley types of today who seriously actually believe they can create the technology that will make them immortal. Seriously, they actually believe this. These people are so smart high IQs and all, but are simultaneously stupid enough to believe that they can make themselves immortal. It is such a waste of brain power. It's our time's equivalent to building the Tower of Babel, or Babel, or however you want to pronounce that. And even from a practical standpoint, they are seeking immortality in the wrong way. And the hard way, by looking to man instead of God. I mean, who do you really think is more likely to achieve immortality? Does the character in a video game think he'll live forever? Well, yes, but he is at the whim of the creator's off switch. He just doesn't know it. And like the ancient Meccans, that's the world many of our cultural elites live in. And it's the result of this religious decadence. It's kind of the underlying disease that causes so many of the symptoms and the problems that we're seeing right now. It is this belief in human power that Muhammad Assad is talking about here and the resulting dismissal of God that is responsible for a rather bizarre moral structure in which self-interest is the only ultimate good. Things like pleasure, the, the vague notion of self-fulfillment or self-authenticity, these strange things, they're vaulted to the top of the virtue ladder. And when that kind of thing becomes the scaffolding for a system of morals, yeah, that's going to be one bizarre, ridiculous, useless, and ultimately fragile structure. This is what the Old Testament was talking about when it said people did what was right in their own eyes. That wasn't a good thing, then or now. And really, Muhammad could have delivered this surah to downtown San Francisco in our current time, and it would have been just as relevant as in ancient Mecca. 
This stuff is timeless because human nature is timeless. And the Quran lays down the choice. Where is your energy going to go? The path of virtue or the path of vice? Well, most people would say virtue, but in ancient Mecca, as in our own time, the truth is obscured by this ever-present and giant cloud of ignorance. So it's gotten bad enough that vices have become virtues, just like the degraded state that ancient Mecca found itself in. So what Muhammad's doing here is delivering the message that needs to be delivered to an ignorant population and say, hey, I know you don't know, but this is what God values. And don't say no one told you, because I am telling you right now. Now you know. And the Quran is saying, I know the world has told you that it is virtuous to accumulate and to exploit slaves. Well, I tell you, it is more virtuous to free slaves. The world has told you, it is virtuous to look after yourself in a time of hunger. But I say to you that God is more impressed with those who give in such times. The world has told you that there are many gods. I am telling you that there is only one God. And also, you are the servants of that God, not the other way around. The world values ruthlessness, but I, the only God, I value patience and compassion and those who spread that message. The world wants you to go down the easy path, downhill, a well-paved road to destruction. But I, the creator God, I want you to take the uphill road to struggle for God instead of yourself. And the road is supposed to be hard. The beginning of this surah concedes that this is a world of struggle and of toil. I translated it as, we have created man into a life of pain and distress and toil and trial. Now you'll see in other translations, struggle, hardship. I just chose to use more words. And sometimes you'll see the word atmosphere, as in, we have created man into a life of or sorry, we have created man into an atmosphere, basically. Now that translation comes from Marmaduke Pickthall. I love that guy. You may have figured that out by now. Now how on earth did he get atmosphere from that? Well, the word is kabada, which means all of those things that I mentioned. But it can also mean things like to be in the center to culminate in the zenith, in the, in the center, or to pass through the turning point. So there is an element of centrality, of being in the middle. And that's where Pickthall gets atmosphere. Pickthall's translation puts man in the middle of an atmosphere. And what that atmosphere is, is supposed to be so self-evident to anyone living on earth 
that he doesn't even bother putting the word struggle in there. The struggle is a given. So much it doesn't even have to be written. The key part is not the struggle, which again is self-evident. The key part is that man is in the middle of all of this, in an inescapable position, in the very center of this atmosphere. So you can't just take a step to the side and escape. It will be a long journey. It's, <laughs> it's great stuff, isn't it? The, the genius of Pickthall. The genius of Marmaduke Pickthall, I tell you. So where we are, it's an atmosphere of ever-present struggle, we are told. So you may want to be careful where that struggle is being directed. Because ultimately, struggle in worldly gain is ultimately futile. As Jesus says, all of this will be thrown into the fire. It is the struggle in the path of God that matters. The steep path, cultivating virtue, fighting vice, struggling against your very nature in an effort to please God. And belief in God is vital, as the Quran says here over and over again. And that's because the only thing that can sustain the fight particularly the inner fight against Satan and his constant, never-ending bombardment of lies, and the persecution that comes when the world embraces a set of values and a set of virtues that is so different from those laid out in the Bible and the Quran. What is going to sustain you through that? So it's as true in ancient Mecca as it is today. And the temptation to do what they say, what the world says, rather than what God says. It's easier that way. Boy, is it easier that way. But we are told that is the wrong path. And this idea is actually quite simple and very ancient from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the Quran. It's a simple idea, but it's very difficult. So in practice, it really is a lot to take in. The mind can comprehend it, but it's also impossible to see unless the heart allows it to be seen, which is probably why this has to be repeated over and over and over again. Because... It's just something that runs so counter to the popular culture. It really always has. That's why these religious texts feel they need to mention it again and again and again, be it in ancient Arabia or in my time in any American city. It applies just the same because people are busy with their own worldly struggles. I know I am. And then piling this on top of that can seem overbearing and irritating. I've felt that many times. I've been there. You know, I tire easily, very easily, and I stumble constantly. But I have found when you occasionally get to a better level, I found there is a different kind of freedom that is found 
when you ignore self-gratification for just long enough and you see the freedoms God has on offer. Things like freedom from the drudgery of material pursuits, of the wasted efforts of gaining things only to impress others, freedom from the grand indignities of trying to impress the opposite sex, freedom from the impressions of others, and freedom in pursuing something like a life in Christ or in Islam that is of infinite value, but yet is somehow free to everyone. It's a different way to seek freedom because as few have even heard, sin leads to servitude. But I digress because that's really more of a message for our time and my place, you know, a place where freedom is held in such high esteem. The message in ancient Arabia, on the other hand, it was a bit simpler. It was more blunt. It was, hey, you, man of the Quraysh, be good or burn in hell. And also, this is what good looks like. But don't worry, I'll teach you. You just have to be among one of those willing to go down the difficult path. You know, to take up your cross, so to say. And the interesting thing about this Sora is that it gets more and more blunt as it goes on. It starts talking about some truths of reality and the incorrect view of that reality in the current society. And then it gives some virtues. So it's trying to use reason, giving some knowledge and hoping to persuade people to practice new superior virtues. And then we have these words. This is where the bluntness comes in. Then, being among those believers who heed the warning and advise others toward patience and toward compassion, these are the people of the right hand. But for those who disbelieve, they will be the people of the left hand, with a seal of fire closing in on them. So, it ends with the hammer, the closer. You can see this surah... It's evolving almost like a parent's discussion with a child where you start with reason and then you try to impart values and explain the reason for all this and how this will work out in the long term. But, you know, it's a child. So sometimes it just comes down to because I said so. Now, will they listen? Maybe they will listen. However, like children, people just don't see the world in the way that God sees it. God doesn't see wealth the way the world does. God doesn't see human power the way the world does. God does not see human value the way the world does. And if that can't be conveyed, well, perhaps, just perhaps, God can convince the people with more shocking imagery and stark warnings and hey, you are going to burn in hell, and to use that as the hammer to make people see the afterlife the way that God does. Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah.
Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.